Hello. Industry. 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 Hello and welcome back. Hello and welcome back to Industry Tactics. Happy New Year if you're listening in real time. It's Friendly Rich, your loyal host. Thank you for your listenership. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're a devout listener, Welcome back. I want to thank our friends at CFRU in Guelph for syndicating the show. It's been over a year now that they've been doing that, and we're delighted to have their support and yours. You go to FriendlyRich.com to learn all things that I'm up to and planning for the years ahead. Very exciting stuff, one of which my loyal commitment to this podcast and shining a light on some of the great musicians of our time, whether they be outsiders, insiders, or uh, left fielders. This universe continues to expand, and I'm honored to to shine a light on the work uh, of Christine Schmidt, a Toronto musician. Um, And we get into it. This is episode number 175 pairs nicely with i would say episode 19 bob wiseman or episode 112 kelly sloan anyway here it is now episode 175 my great talk with the wonderful christine schmidt enjoy Beginning the day, begin the day with a friendly voice, a companion unobtrusive. Today we're here with Huawei P20 Pro, <laughs> aka Christine Schmidt. We're zooming with Christine. Good morning to you. And I catch you, gentle listener, you don't know what time it is, but it's 8 a.m. on our end. So that's our commitment to you. Welcome, Christine Schmidt, episode 175 of Industry Tactics. What a pleasure. Thank you. I'm very proud to be number 175. A nice round number, I say. Um, how are you doing? What's going on? Uh, just sort of coming out of the holiday season. and Yes. Enjoying get, getting back to... Uh, normal behavior i always kind of like the year after all the all the the crazy stuff happens and getting back into a a bit of a regular routine and trying to plan things for the spring so that the winter goes seems to go faster oh that's a nice uh speaking of industry tactics we're off to a good start that's a great way to to deal with winter right yeah do you do you find as a, a creative person that you the the ebb and flow like have you picked up on your like do you have different times of year where you kind of go into different m- modes of uh of doing things uh it's not particularly seasonal i find it's more prompted by uh like i kind of want to create artificial deadlines because mm-hmm. i'm not really a person that's going to be driven to writing or playing every day 
mm-hmm. there's more a lot of wandering around thinking going on while every life happens. Yeah. But if I, you know, it could be that like, or I mean, it could be just arbitrary, like, well, by the spring I would like to have done, and it could be something as re- tiny as just finishing one song or oh nice nice or even like if i'm really stuck just learning somebody else's like just got just a tiny project yeah so that i mean that's that's an obviously extreme example but mm-hmm. uh you, you just kind of creating a, a sort of false pressure if there isn't an actual one like i do have a show coming up relatively soon and I don't play as much as I used to. So I'm like that deadline will push me into being more actively yeah. active yeah. rather than yeah. all the, all the brewing that's going on. Yeah. 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 I mean, healthy to have the, those, those milestones or goalposts, whatever you're going to call them to, to kind of m- motivate in a lot of ways, I think, but yeah. I mean, could be healthy or destructive, depending on how you look at it. But if in in moderation, I think the odd deadline doesn't doesn't hurt a creative person because you could kind of spin your wheels otherwise for for e- eternity if you, if you're not careful. Yeah, I I I mean, I was pretty lucky that one of the first band situations I was in was with an uh, the band leader was a bit older and more experienced and. I sort of re- rehearsed with them for a while mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, we've got a gig in, a, in, in, I don't know, two weeks. And I, I, I nearly lost my mind. Cause I <laughs> was like, are you crazy? We're not ready. And he's like, the only way we're going to be ready is if we actually have a, a deadline, like to there hit, kind of want the pressure a little bit. So that, that was a good, uh, good, uh, thing to learn pretty early yeah. on. Um, generally otherwise though, I find that I kind of get a lot, uh, I right now anyway tend to get aside from de- the act those deadlines I uh, get a little more creatively active when I'm teaching. So okay. I'm, yeah. Who was so, that person if you don't mind me asking? Uh, his name was Adrian Stickland and he okay. was in a band that I had seen when I was like an underage kid sneaking into bars. He was in a nice. band called Megat Fodder. Oh wow. Uh, from Guelph and then okay, he was okay. and then uh, but then they had a, a, a sort of, he had a band with n- newer people and needed a singer. So they'd already been playing okay. together. Bit and, uh, it was a great first experience cause they were all pretty experienced and, uh, uh, it was a sort of a nice framework to start with rather than just being like, Hey, want yeah. to start a- And And you, and you, is that where you kind of, grew up is Guelph Kitchener area or, or I mean, yeah. I know they're not the same, but no, well, no, uh, I grew up in Kitchener. Okay. Uh, and just happened to, I worked in a record store with one of the band members and oh. Guelph, so we ended up rehearsing in Guelph. So, what, what was the, re- what was the record shop? It was a record shop in Guelph. Kitchener. In Kitchener. What was the record shop? Dr. Disc. Oh, nice. There you go. There you go. Yeah, cool name, huh? <laughs> doctor, Di- well, you got to be a doctor in something. Uh, that's cool. That's cool, though. I, I mean, that record shop upbringing, eh? Of like, did that get you kind of? Was that? Would you say that was part of your your like music education? For Inform- sure. Informal, anyway. I would say. Yeah. Oh yeah, like uh, it was. Uh, 
there were two really good record shops in Kitchener. It, it was in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, and they both got all kinds of really great imports and also a lot of used uh, used in new domestic and import, UK imports and indie stuff from the US. And wow. uh, all of the staff were super uh, curious collectors in all different genres. So yeah. it was it was kind of the best uh both just for input uh uh you know like just a just a crazy amount of information mm-hmm. and variety but also uh get uh, being in a place that gave me a bit more agency and and trusting my own knowledge and tastes and mm-hmm. people that like, kind of gave kept space for me to do that because you know, yeah. there were a few couple of women working there, but mostly that world yeah. was very male. Right. So I, I, I also started doing college radio at, around that time. Oh wow! wow. It was a, a, a similar environment. So With was, uh, in in Guelph or in Kitchener? In Kitchener, yeah. Waterloo uh, University, Waterloo. Okay. Uh, Great. C, uh, CKMS was is, is still still around, I believe. Well, shout out to CFRU. We're not going to give the any other radio station any other love, but um, <laughs> CF, CFRU are are, um, are are airing these podcasts as part oh, of cool. as part of their kind of yeah. So so that so our only affiliate, our only um, love is for CFRU in Guelph. I didn't well, even, I, have- I didn't even hear this the station that you mentioned in Waterloo. <laughs> Well, I do have some connection with CFRU too Good. because I, I worked and performed with a couple people who, who either, well, I think, at least did programming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so, like, I did know several people, and I think we actually, I may have done something live on CFRU at some there point. There you go. There you yeah. go. There you go. That's the Guelph. Um, well, I love it. I love it. I love that informal. And who were you, kind of like? In, inspired by uh, you know while you were like who were you listening to while you were working at that record shop who really got you into this thing uh early like because i probably started there in around 90 91 okay. uh and i'd kind of come out of a in like in the late 80s or through the 80s like basically going to hardcore like real tiny little indie shows in Toronto. Yeah. Like hardcore punk. And uh, also like classic country was the sort of guilty pleasure, uh, under, you know, like I, I was like, had my Patsy Klein and Hank Williams tapes. Okay. At the record store that was still going through with a bit of like, just getting interested in basic, like jazz vocal stuff, like Billie Holiday and so on. But okay. as far as what music was happening in, like, in real time, uh, it was kind of half stuff like, uh, well, or a bit earlier, stuff like the Slits mm-hmm. and and then wow. Ride for stuff, which was starting to happen. Wow. Uh, but also, like, uh, I didn't, I mean, I, I think I called it experimental, but, like, mm-hmm. I was kind of like anything that seemed to have, an, like, a real rock band or indie band had an instrument on the credits that was not a typical rock instrument like yeah. or i didn't even know what it was i was like more likely to listen to that so i, I, I didn't really wow 
you know, it was just kind of finding where, like, I knew I wanted some more oddball stuff or what I would call experimental. So, of course, some of it was industrial, like, noisy, but just stuff that combined those odd dissonances and things with melodic Mm -hmm. uh, uh, stuff. So, that, that, there were, it would be certain bands or whatever that would bubble up, but that was kind of the, I think the criteria with with definitely with a lot of blues, jazz, and kind of like a yeah. early twentieth century, I said early twentieth century, predominantly acoustic music was okay. kind of it still is kind of a, 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 a like thirties to fifties, yeah. yeah, whatever genre that I, I could I could live in that sound. Oh, nice. nice, nice, nice. I didn't know you had that in your in your diet. You know, like the heavier, noisier stuff you know that's nice to hear yeah and it's funny because it was uh so much of that and and just the general sort of punk uh scene Mm -hmm. like not the like definitely like hardcore like so pre when kind of punk hit mainstream Mm -hmm. uh you know, it was really just like $3 cover charge shows where it was handmade yeah. posters and, and yeah. then nobody knew, like you did, yeah, it was word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, and when I started performing traditional country in, uh, late, like late nineties in Waterloo, but then in Toronto, that was my main thing for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we had the older audiences and we played pretty traditional style. Yeah. And then, people older people would come up in like small towns and be like they oh i heard you were punk into you're you saying punk music which i didn't really do that back then mm-hmm. but they, they couldn't really compute that that i did mm-hmm. had done or been in that world before and i was kind of like yeah to my mind yeah. they're kind of the same like small yeah. community three chord songs it's really communal yeah, yeah. and yeah uh, basic ideas you know <laughs> yeah 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 that's kind of neat to 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 have that correlation, you know, between the, the, the genres and realize that like they're at the core of it, they're not that different in a, in a lot of ways. No. Right. No, even the to, state of mind too. Also, like it's, you can be punk and country, I think, I think. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how I, and that's how I kind of was, I was introduced to it through the, some of the punk bands that we used to, or hardcore bands. We like, they would throw that stuff on and it's like, yeah, the, right, right. Even to the point of where it exists in society, or where that stuff existed in society when it officially when it would originally emerge, like uh, on a class level, like punk mm-hmm. started as a very working class thing, and country kind of still is. Like the, the, the like so many of the themes that are the same, and and the audience in a way is the same. It may be for a different part right. of the world or whatever, right? So. Right. Right. Uh, in my mind, it was just kind of like, also from my point of view, regardless of that stuff, I was like, I was never really interested in music. I couldn't be right there with. So I would rather yeah. go to go with 10 people than a stadium. Yeah. Like, I don't care how much yeah. I like the music. It don't, if I can't really feel like I'm part yeah. of it, and punk stuff was yeah. like that. Oh, nice. Nice. So you found community in that. Totally. And, 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 well, I mean, that's related to finding, but I mean, a community that I can see myself being, give, offering something to, rather than just yeah. being passive and maybe not fitting like a mainstream, what, what yeah, finding community is it, it was just like, oh, I, I know 
or I can see a way into this and some of the things I think about sort of match up with these people. It's not just a, uh, a barrier, you know, yeah. between stage and, and the audience. Yeah. Nicely put. Um, what were like in, in Waterloo then? So like, what were some of the venues that you were finding that community in? Uh, Waterloo, not quite as much. Like I, we, I, I kind of started going to shows in Toronto in 84 and okay. we would take to various smaller okay. venues in Toronto, okay. which, so that was great. Uh, Guelph also had a good indie and all ages yeah. back then. So yeah. that's kind of why I got connected to the Guelph scene. There was a little more organizing and, and stuff yeah. going on. Yeah. But your Waterloo always seemed to kind of have a really apathetic. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I joke about it being the German thing, but I don't, yeah, it's yeah. not, may not be entirely untrue. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, I did actually put on some shows myself, like, like as a promoter. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, there weren't really any venues other than some we co-opted for the, like one-off shows in the later, like in the nineties, there was a place called Jane Bond that actually did play at a, a fair bit, but that was uh, moving into different, sort of different styles of music at that point. Okay. But uh, Jane Bond's still going and still has music. Oh yeah. Uh, a tiny venue. It's really interesting good. that like like what what is it like tw- twenty kilometers between Guelph and Kitchener? At, if that, it the character, you know, so different in in our art scene. Like Guelph people were really welcoming and yeah. Uh, it's not that people were jerks in Waterloo, but it the sort of it is the rationalization at the. I mean, because Guelph had the has the i guess the agricultural and the and environmental yeah, yeah. plant so it seemed like there were kind of more yeah. like hippie feel good folks yeah, in Guelph. yeah yeah, yeah. Kit- Kitchener was a little more like a little more serious yeah like uh you got to prove yourself and right. and you're not going to just be nice to you for no reason like now, we, gotta, we have a lot of we have a lot of listeners in in Iceland and other other parts of the world through our uh, analytics and gentle listeners these are we're talking about Cities are they cities towns a- outside of the the city of Toronto in Canada, and just I, I would think that the Italian proverb "tutto il mondo è un paese" all of the world. Well, we're going to quote Rush first. Is a stage Andy for us? No, all of the world is a village, and so I would think that anyone Iceland to uh, Paraguay is going to relate with that idea of kind of small town indie culture and coming up through that smaller town than than a, a larger city like toronto that must have felt really electric to in the mid 80s start venturing down to toronto and yeah. and taking that in and finding your your people your community there right oh it was amazing i mean i was 18 uh we hitchhiked from kitchener to toronto like on oh, a Friday, at, like at rush hour and usually got to Toronto in a couple wow. of rides me and three wow. girls me and two other girls with and they were 16 like I think about it now and I'm like yeah crazy yeah. we were kids yeah but you know we had were weird clothes and kind of yeah. nerdy and I think people just picked us up to take make sure we were okay yeah but we'd yeah. Come, go to a show see like four or five bands in one night oh cool they offer us a place to stay we met a whole community wow and, and then just like uh, it was just 
like and at that time i mean i mean it, by 84 but of course punk rock had been around in the world but i mean in that mm-hmm. community in that it was just like oh like there's this whole chance to be in a community i feel like it was kind of random that it was that style of music it's just right. the one right. presenting itself right and right. it was so new and it, no rules yeah that it felt even more that like anything is possible as opposed to like as more established music form and more like i feel like then it would be maybe i wouldn't have felt as much chance to be part of it okay i don't know sure 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 do you um when you were so do do you what what's your formal music education i i want to get into kind of how you be how you find your musical voice in all this Um, what uh sort of uh bits and pieces and uh like uh, uh there about five years of conservatory piano but but it, like i don't know how i mean i can play but like it and, and yeah. you know i can read music but i prefer not to yeah um, kiwanis festivals singing contests in grade oh, wow. school wow okay and i don't mean this to be yeah like uh, this isn't uh <laughs> you know what I mean? I, 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 without even saying it, I don't mean it for it to be like, uh, how much do you know? Or, or that like thing that I think a lot of us might, might even suffer from that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. music seems to be a very, I, I once heard a thing that said like the things musicians get the most anxiety from is like performing among other musicians which is a horrible uh kind of almost fact to 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 learn you know what i mean that through a lot of research that's what comes up but like so i don't mean it to be that i think we all have our music educations whether it be that record shop upbringing and i quit school at, at grade you know eight or 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 other right like um so Anyway, that's interesting that you did a little time with the Kiwanis. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that whole was that was that positive? Uh, it was neutral. I the song, <laughs> okay. Song uh, selections made for me were bizarre. Yeah. Like I did look them up in later life, and I still have the sheet music from them. But they were like, as far as I can tell, like or night like turn of the nineteenth or turn of the twentieth, whatever. Like yeah. around 1900 parlor type songs. Yeah. So kind of sweet little melodies that would be appropriate for, I forget how old I was, eight or nine. Yeah. But like, and, and also probably chosen because they were good exercises vocally yeah. to demonstrate and learn how to breathe and so on. But yeah. I, I, it was like I, the comp- competition, I, I, there's nothing I, I didn't, I wasn't, traumatized but i there's nothing i took away yeah. from that that made yeah. me want to see right. like I, I, so, right. uh the right. real there wasn't really any good musical or any kind of creative education in grade school in the school itself but my mom sang at, and taught us harmony there you go ear wow. and wow. Us in piano lessons and 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 also my both my parents brought home a lot of music that super informed me even though i wouldn't have said that even 10 years ago like now yeah. i'm kind of like oh i'm really drawing on that yeah wow yeah and my, and then my grandfather played fiddle and 
and there like like there was early like that sort of family uh yeah. farmer fiddle stuff yeah. was happening when i was a kid around the house as well so i did i did get a, that which i now i'm like oh my god i'm so glad i had it but I, yeah. when I was in yeah. the garage, i was like what you know that's so wow. cheap, you know it, uh that's really cool that's beautiful um did you did, did you grow up on a farm or a farmer well, when you say when you say farmer no was it more of a uh, I, I grew up a suburb okay and my mom came from a very small town in, in ontario and her father grew up on a farm and my I mom see. like so okay it was uh just a lot of remnants of like yeah. uh the irish uh farmers like, like so the there was like bits in the language and bits in the, in the fiddle and how they, my mom played cording on piano yeah, yeah, and, uh, and yeah. of course, cultural stuff that was just kind of remnants of that. But no, yeah. like my mom busted out of that town, went to teacher's college and we were in a shiny new suburb and, okay. and, uh, you know, and, uh, which is also why I was kind of delayed in learning about her musical back, real, her early musical background. Cause she oh. didn't really want to hear country music and, Turned yeah. up, my grandfather used to sing it, Hank Williams around the house all the time, but oh. she, it was really, really kind of traumatic for her to remember because yeah. she was trying to get away from the right. poverty and, and, and stuff right. like that. Right, 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 right. Interesting, though, that you've done a little bit of digging and it it kind of prevails in a new way in your in your line, I guess. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm trying, I, I, she, she totally really enjoyed the stuff that I did when I started doing the country and, and okay. like, she's like, Oh, I like it. She, it wasn't that traumatic for her, but I mm -hmm. think she was, yeah, she just spent a lot of time getting away from being, she, um, you know, like any young, you know, yeah. professional city, smart city girl. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Totally. 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 Um, do you, do you go to, where do you go from, from grade school? Like what, what does it look like for you? You, you, you mentioned that you were, doing radio at the university is that were you a student at the university or or yeah, yeah. okay okay so grade school was nothing much going on musically and it was kind of a yeah. frustrating time I, I was like you know always hoping somebody would let us put a play on or you know they're just they're, it was a sports oriented school good okay. teachers in all subject but no arts were really not no one wanted to teach it really so mm -hmm. we got a little bit better way not not what I wanted, but right. high school, Catholic, all girls, downtown. So all like all of a sudden, I'm in a school of 1,300 kids. Wow, wow. High school is right across the street, and they right. shared arts classes particularly. Okay. So there was, I all I, all of a sudden a, a, a vocal music class, a drama class, a theater. Okay. Oh, um, and you're taking it all in. Musicals. I I was and I did it all. Like so, it was oh, kind wow. of. And it was also the dawn of it's like early eighties. So for me, like new wave and punk and all these crazy yeah. music styles that aren't. Yeah. So again, something I feel like I can be part of that are a little, you know, yeah. Was gender, it, gender became kind of interesting then yeah. as well. So it just like, there were yeah. a lot of beautiful things. Most people have kind of an odd time in high school, but for me, it was just like, Oh, this like the world is opening up. Nice, it nice to hear. Yeah, uniformed Catholic girls' school, so you wouldn't really think yeah. about it that. Way, but yeah, yeah, the, oh, just the huge just population of it. 
was yeah. so large because it was all the Catholic students from one yeah. in one place, and yeah. it's downtown. So wow. wow. So did it was you, thrilling. <laughs> did you grow up? Um, I kind of I was raised in in the Catholic uh, faith as well, and uh, did you grow up with some of that trash, like the music, the uh, one bread, one body? I don't remember that, but I totally, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and especially the, when they kind of went post-Vatican II and started doing the folk yes. choir. That's what like, I'm talking uh, about. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm trying Any, to remember. Oh. Any songs stick out? Yeah. Wait, uh, uh, Be not afraid. I go, I go before you always. Come, follow come. me. Yeah, I like the... Uh, Come, come. Yeah, come. and uh, yeah, what, great. Part of the dance. Uh, I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. Or I, I forget. Yes. This lively, fun. I, I mean, I didn't. It was a, it was interesting and a nice variety, but and it did beat the earlier hymns because they were pretty stodgy. Yeah, man. Oh, but now I you got that song in my head. I mean, I I say trash, but um. I loved, I kind of do like, uh, love it. It's so catchy. And it, I think it, a lot of that stuff was written by, by one person. I looked it up. Anyway, I don't have the name handy, but really interesting, really interesting, catchy, catchy stuff. They're, those are catchy tunes for sure. Yeah. And actually, this isn't something, okay. I have to mention this because it is one thing I realized was formative years later, but it would, mm -hmm. would have been almost embarrassing for me to say it. Until now, mm -hmm. my mom had a record, and I'm not going to remember the name of the group exactly, mm -hmm. but, and it turns out my dad brought it home for her, which I didn't know. It was called mm -hmm. Joy is Like the Rain. It was probably early 70s, LP. Oh. It, was a, it was something sisters. It was like missionary sisters, oh, American. Yeah. And uh, they... They it was a choir of nuns, but I think the accompaniment was just like acoustic guitar and maybe like a bongo or something. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> and it was shimmery but kind of unprofessional harmonies, and it was kind yeah. of folk choiry. Yeah. And we yeah. it was just one of our records, and I I I played it over and over. And wow. later, as an adult looking it up, found out that it was a situation where one of the nuns was just. She, they were like, you, we need songs. You just have yeah. to write songs. She'd never written. Oh, they were these. So they were kind of these odd. Mm. Uh, anyway, wow. Joy is like the rain is a is a the song itself is a hit. Oh wow! And, I gotta look that up. A rocking number called Zacchaeus. Oh, there was a man from Jericho named Zacchaeus. <laughs> oh, I I know that song. Okay, well then check them out because I think she wrote it. Oh my god. Yeah, it that, like that's it, amazing. So I kind of now in the I'd say the last I mean I'm my my or, or I didn't start writing till oh maybe fifteen years ago or something like I didn't write uh, through most of my performance life. Yeah, and I think obviously the earlier years were more about like trying to replicate something I aspired to rather than, but I think in the last 10 years, I'm less afraid to draw on stuff like that, which yeah. is, it was part of my musical past. Sure. Sure. And sure, I, and I sure. like the goofy nursery rhymey kind of. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah.
and the, also the imprecision of it, right? right so it's like right, I, right. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not the Christian part, but the, yeah, 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 but, sure, I get you. You know, um, and and what what so what do you end up studying in at Waterloo? Uh, English literature, okay. which was uh, kind of felt like the only thing I could do. I took five years off between high school and university, which was record store okay. and party girl. Like, I okay. you know, going to shows and, and clubs yeah. and, yeah. you know. Wait, yeah. So when I did go, it was like, I, I know I want to mainly, I mean, it wasn't like I had a plan, but it's like, I, I do love studying. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, this is the I only that. Yeah. thing yeah. I would like to do. Re- like, I could imagine... So I did at the University of Waterloo, I did do a lot of electives in uh, like second languages and, yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of like music psychology and, and, and like music adjacent. So not actual theory. Yeah. Uh, okay. I get it. Yeah. Like a world music, like just yeah. supplement nice. my musical nice. interest. Nice. So, so and, it was. And what you moved to Toronto soon after that, or, or how does that happen? Yeah, I uh, I was uh, while I was in university, I was doing a, a I had a weekly radio show. I had a nice. week a weekly DJ night uh, yeah. at Jane Bond, and uh, and then was playing a little bit in duos and bands, but nothing seriously gigging really, like okay. just bits. And, pieces. and I was I I was I graduated. And it was really just kind of a whim. My sister was actually graduating around the same time. She's younger, but we were in school at the same time. Yeah. We both kind of just decided, like, oh, we think we wanted to move to Toronto. So we, in six months, we we found an apartment. I had a, I was working for chapters who would transfer you anywhere in the country. Oh, so wow. I an easy way to get a job. So I had a, got a job at the world's biggest bookstore downtown. And uh, and kind of immediately met people to start playing with when I moved to Toronto. So I moved here in '99 and uh, walked by the Cameron House one day and heard a band and walked in and basically liked them yeah. and asked if I could sit in with them. So and then oh. joined them like a few months later. So oh wow, wow. <laughs> so it, it kind of how lovely planning, but it kind of worked out perfectly because I was kind of getting the feeling like. I was 33 when I moved to Toronto and mm-hmm. was kind of starting to feel the squeeze out where you kind of like seeing other people your own age doing things like going professional or starting a family or doing the mm-hmm. grown up things. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do any of those things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and not a lot of musical. I mean, again, I don't want to like, there were tons of great creative people there. Yeah. But I wasn't really doing what I wanted to and didn't wasn't really meeting people I could do it with in Waterloo. Whereas I just happened to, that it happened in Toronto. So Um you, you talked about the Cameron House and what a what a special in Toronto, what a special venue for just finding your, your people, hey? Yes. I am so lucky. Uh like uh the band that I heard when we were walking by one day was the Backstabbers. Oh wow! And yeah. uh, uh, I ended up joining them, and we had a Sunday matinee at the Cameron House for at least another five. They'd already been doing it for a few years, but yeah. I was there for about another five years with them. 
right. then we went on residencies and <clears throat> touring and yeah <clears throat> uh and I, and through them met the greater network of uh pretty much not just country but like yeah. i I mean, I met all, all a whole bunch of people I eventually played with because I, I was at Cameron. Okay. It it was. It, you're right. So <laughs> are, started, are you in? Are you in that? Like, uh, I know you 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 connect with Bob Wiseman and you're on some of Bob's recordings. That's how I I got to know your name. Actually, was oh yeah was through Bob. But um, like, the, does it extend to like? Who else ex extends in that kind of Cameron House family that comes to mind of of like artists that you you may have known or or are still connected with? Uh, so Bob actually, just because you meant, uh, I mean, I I had actually covered some of his music when I was still a Kitchener in like little duos, oh. and he played at our radio station that shall not be named. And thank you. Uh, <laughs> And then when, but I didn't know him. Mm -hmm. And then when I was playing with the Backstabbers, he came uh, to a few of the shows and then asked me if I'd be interested in working with him. So I, which was just like, oh my, like I was, I was a little starstruck. Cause yeah, yeah. I was That's a cool. fan first. And, yeah, and nice, nice. So that was great. And he actually was on one of the Backstabbers. He played piano on one of our records a little bit and performed with us a couple of times. So that was great. Uh, another performer who unfortunately doesn't perform anymore, but one of the best songwriters uh, I ever worked with, Dan Kershaw. He had a band called Brothers Cosmoline. Okay, and that name is again, very familiar. That was a yeah. situation where I was yeah. singing at the camera, and he asked, okay. like, I got kind of got the uh, audition through that. Okay. okay wow. Uh, wow. I can't. I mean, tons of other people. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I think the the main thing would be. Uh, through that uh backstabbers connection getting connected with also the bluegrass scene and all the players in that and, and then old-time scene which i mean yeah. it, they are separate yeah. styles and and in circles but they and they all bleed into each other but yeah. through that i just kind of got a stronger and more diverse community yeah. and then of course there were like jazz and independent okay all kinds of other smaller things like or adjacent things people that i met but i but i expanded the uh uh pool of people uh, to play with that were kind of loosely in that that genre so and um well let, we're gonna break to uh we're gonna play a little bit of your music now from the 2016 is this your your first release then the 2016 release of good Dirt? yeah i mean i do have some other things that i will i hope to re-release shortly that were like eps oh, wow. of your, like of my own yeah. stuff yeah. first full length that i would call what like was a studio album yeah uh the good dirt That's good dirt here, here comes the uh the first track, which really took me, Hop on a While with Me. This is Christine Schmidt. That's an oldie. <laughs> Here's the streetcar coming down. Oh, how I like to ride. Going to the exhibition, rumbling down. Hear the firecrackers popping in the summer night sky. Oh, hop on a while with 
right up, we're gonna hit the midway. Striking it high and coconut chai. You could say I really know how to handle a ball, and I can always count on you to bring home the prize. Oh, hop all the while with me. Hop all the while with me. How's about a little ride on this hit particular train? us about that recording i mean because you take a you're on a bit of a journey now with your songwriting and, and your music um you said you've been writing then for the past 15 or so years right um yeah how does that record get made um so i uh beautiful stuff by the way thank you uh so i had gone through a lot of changes in my performance life and my day job life okay. uh where i and w was also kind of needing a musical change but didn't know what uh, I, I was just kind of a little bit like what to do next and uh chris cool who is a, a dear friend and has functioned as quite a mentor for me as well yeah, had uh, said like, uh, if you make a record, I'll, I'll, if I can produce it, like, like he oh. basically made it very easy. He's like, what a like great honor when people, yeah. when people love you that much, they're like, hey, if you ever, that's great, that's great to hear. Yeah, and and like he helped me apply for a grant and for it, and great. I great. Uh, also, I could because I felt really overwhelmed about the whole like. I'm not, I was never interested enough in like the uh, technical side of recording or even mm -hmm. microphones and like the whole, like, I just didn't, like, I found that so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, Chris uh, already had a good relationship with Andrew Collins, whose studio, who recorded it, the engineer. And also oh, the, uh, the band, Chris's band, the Lonesome May String Band. Yes. Uh, like, we kind of did an arrangement that they would back me on it. Cause I already had been working with them. Great. Like we don't perform with each other and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Chris made it very easy for me and yeah, yeah. it was mostly done live. Uh, it all sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really comfortable way to kind of start coming into my own. Uh, I mean, I, there definitely had other, there are other valuable people that I worked with before, which like, but yeah. that's what we're talking about too. But uh yeah. but that that point to get that thing going, uh, it was kind of the a really beautiful way to embark upon a a, yeah. a, a sort of more complicated thing than just getting up on a stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I 
I, uh, I I appreciate it, and and for uh, for that to be your first full length right out the gate is uh, kudos to you. It's really exciting, because um, I, as I said, I got to know your you, you you and your work through the Bob Wiseman lens initially, and and that what's that record? It's the first record I ever heard of Bob's called something uh, more work songs from the Planet of the Apes. Is that what it's called? I'm I'm. I I are you on that? Is, but I don't think I'm on it. You're it's, not I, on I, that. I okay. Remember the one I'm on? Like I I know I'm on. I think I'm only on one of his. Oh yeah 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 yeah. But uh, I don't remember what it's called. Oh, you you like you you did you tour with Bob too or am, am I? Yeah. Not, uh, yeah we, okay. Short okay. brought out tours to. Okay. Uh, I think we did New York a couple of times in Chicago. So they weren't really yeah. they were more like okay. two or three shows around okay. a weekend. Okay. Uh, okay. And otherwise just one off in Ontario, various spots in Ontario, but we did uh travel a fair bit uh New York a couple times in Chicago, so that was really great. Uh What was that like? That was, what, was that like? like what do you kind of carry with you from working with people like Bob? Like what what uh, what uh a, whole yeah, a whole lot. Yeah. Um yeah. the uh, you know, he the band that we had together, Julia Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Julie Penner, James Anderson. Oh wow. Uh, wow. trying to remember. I'm, I'm think I'm missing somebody. But uh, uh, so like he, he, we had wine glasses, uh, whatever. Like the the what I don't know what that's actually called, but like the. Oh yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, Bode saw. Just like so, unusual instruments, tick. Yes, yes. Uh, unusual, <laughs> unusual arrangements and unusual vocal delivery, unusual subject matter, yeah. a huge element of theatricality. It, yeah. We yes. I waltzed with him in a, one of the solos on stage. And those are all things that were kind of already part of my brain anyway. And right. I also, a lot, I mean, not to the degree he's amazing. But like, yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I always want to like, incorporate dance. Whatever, just the odd, odd things. Yeah, yeah. And, and odd textures. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, like I, I, and he would, you know, we did a lot of his older songs, but he would like uh, have no problem doing them and re doing new arrangements. And, and it was not really tied to things going a certain way. And he also built a lot of it around our own uh Yes. ability and limitations so that yeah. was yeah. uh such a great uh experience and a great lesson for like that i can pull on from like it, it, even more and more as i go on because when i get i, oh, I have more for my own stuff i'm yeah. i can draw on him him even more yeah oh how lovely how lovely um gentle listener Christine has mentioned Julia Hamilton, episode 43 of Industry Tactics, and of course, Bob Wiseman, episode 19. Um, so go back into the vault uh, and, 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 and dig into those in interviews. Uh, we're learning a lot here from Christine and, and your journey. Um, what Do you have any regret? Uh, with your um related to your music education uh the weird question uh, no it's actually something i think about a lot and i probably had a different answer 
uh, for at different times. Yeah. I have a, okay. The official and most useful answer is no, not really, because I'm, I, especially because of starting to coach in, in, in more recent years that I feel my particular skill or what I particularly want to draw on is, uh, drawing connections between different fields, not even necessarily musical or creative. Oh, wow. Attempt to help people understand how music can be part of their lives. So, and more generally, that's the idea of metaphor. Like how can you explain or describe to somebody Mm -hmm. how to do something that isn't using theory language or even conventional musical language surrounding musical performance, they might know as a, a passive listener. But yeah. like if they are golf, not that I know, would know anything about golf, that's probably the worst. But like if I know that they're passionate about yeah. something, yeah, then okay. I can, I see. Then I yeah. can draw on that to help them how to think about music. Yeah, that might excite them to, uh, and yeah. So my piecemeal and scattered mm-hmm. like you know if it, you know like i i, I always needed to ha- be interested in a bunch of different things i i i could regret not having gotten more serious about say like piano and singing and mm-hmm. all, or whatever when i was young but i was also reading like a maniac i was also getting right. interested Right. clothing three which i like so I, I need to work in all those fields yeah yeah and i also am aware that my experience in uh, uh things outside have greatly added to my writing and how i oh, how lovely how what a great answer what a great answer and um did, did you say clothing history yes that's my day job uh currently yeah. uh and a huge uh a huge focus of interest and i i find it kind of all re- re- connects to music history and social history and yeah uh aesthetic like uh, you know the the aesthetic element of it uh, can be can also it's so useful in how i think about music or stage presentation like the, it's all connected right? Right, right, right so i needed to uh Make sure that the the those vitamins were getting into me as much as oh, the nice. music ones. So speaking of speaking of metaphor, what what's um what's your current day job, if I might ask? Uh, I manage a cl- uh, vintage clothing collection for oh. film studio Ian Drummond, oh, wow. which uh, wow. I means uh, I mean at at the basic level, it's just kind of managing the storage of it. It's like clothing from eighteen ninety to nineteen ninety clothing and shoes and jewelry and hats and so on uh uh and day to day though it's a it involves like a lot of research and with productions that will contact if they can't come in they'll be like it's kind of like shopping for the characters like so i can movies and know i've pulled an outfit that they use like the designer chose it there's a lot of photography and also like cataloging and decisions about how to categorize things okay so it's cultural history is the broader thing and it was kind of a i was kind of sheepish about that interest when i was a kid because it it 
it's socially it's viewed as frivolous or or ephemeral or or trivial but it's so much like humans broadcast who they are by what they wear yeah or who they aspire to be yeah or 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 they can broadcast all kinds of things and tell stories it's it as wow yes it is it i was thinking it it is it is storytelling at the at at its core yeah you're you're uh wonderful i think it's a kimono robe or something you're wearing is mm-hmm. very uh expressive there you go there you go colors, right yeah right 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 yeah no 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 absolutely it's uh it's keeping me warm and i'm broadcasting and we are uh syndicated on cfru in guelph ontario one of the hot spots for cultural development and we thank them for their ongoing uh support of the podcast of course you could subscribe to the podcast go to friendlyrich.com to learn more and we are here with the great christine schmidt singer songwriter is that how do you is that what you call yourself creative force Uh, broadcaster broadcaster through clothing what's that i said broadcaster through clothing storyteller yeah that's useful uh it's tricky as you know like i because yeah, sure. people have preconceptions about uh about existing terms that i don't necessarily want because i avoided the singer songwriting moniker because sure. it, you sure. think about sort of sad strummy guitar and generic yeah. like centered yeah. lyrics which isn't uh, it, it paints you know, a, it paints a bit of a, it boxes you in in a lot of ways yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you sing and you songwrite but you also do so much more you know yeah so like i think current okay, i mean up up till i mean my when i because most of my performance life in toronto was definitely more about being part of traditional country or a little bit of early jazz and stuff like that but definitely mm-hmm. like barroom entertainer I, i'm a real belter it's and it, that's mm-hmm. so that's a that's a job there like an entertainer and that's a different type of a performance like you can have your original material but yes. you're very much working for the venue it's about people make, helping people to forget their troubles and that's a thing mm-hmm. and even though i was like i didn't really want to say country or belter old like time it, like you're always boxing yourself in by those genre things yeah so i would kind of get elaborate about it you know and yep. now it's yep. more my main thing is more about wanting people to know about the writing and the coaching. So yeah. I feel like I'm almost describing myself, making sure to mention the coaching and and the other things like the clothing history or like I don't really care so much about being known as a singer anymore or yeah. as even a pro- promoting the performance. It's more about the ideas and nice, nice. I'll buy that. <laughs> boiled down but uh it i I mean i'm in a transitional i mean it may be a very long transitional stage but i mean it's a transitional stage about how i think about what i'm doing i'm still trying to figure it out Uh, yeah yeah and 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 power to you in in that journey um do you can you talk about the coaching like is it vocal coaching or is it much more than that like how do you you talked a little bit about metaphor so if i'm a dog walker you'll apply that to music but um yeah yeah you'll apply that to music there's shit on every corner <laughs> sorry yeah um, i know it's some of, the, some of the things that i come out with when 
I'm in uh, like talking to somebody. It. I mean, most often it's stuff dealing with performance anxiety. People. Oh yeah. I work with adults. It's specifically mainly only at one music camp. I occasionally do private people, private students, but I like working under the umbrella of a community of, of teachers uh, rather than Is it a, a summer, a summer camp or yeah. Yep. Uh, it's called old school music camps. And oh, I saw that. Yes. Okay. Uh, Jenny Whiteley and Joey Wright. Uh, yeah. yeah. And in Nelson, Ontario. And, and uh, oh, great. It, it's been going for since 2015. The wow. basic model originally started out specifically as a bluegrass camp, which it still okay. is the main camp. It's okay. for four days now. Yeah. Uh, uh, Adults only, uh, the instructors usually are taken from all one band. So each band member teaches a specific bluegrass related instrument. Okay. And I'm, I, I am there. So the instructors change every year, but I stay there every year as, as what's evolved into performance coaching for singers. And now I do a songwriting class at the camp. Which isn't bluegrass specific, so that not, if you don't want to play an instrument and you don't necessarily want to play bluegrass, yeah, you you can just come and do that. Although it's definitely leans more bluegrass folk in song structure, and that I'm not going to really be much good for teaching a like a rock or pop structure right. song okay. or, or or anything more advanced, right? Right. Uh, so performance anxiety is probably the biggest uh-huh. thing I deal with. So it's more about how they think about what they're doing in practice and on stage. Okay. Because they also they're in classes during the day, uh-huh. and then they they have to form a band at the beginning of the week. Oh and wow, they, wow, wow! So it's basically rustling a bunch of people, a lot of whom have never been on stage, to do a stage performance in four days. Wow! So it's there really fun. It sounds and great. I have been. Like I, whatever I'm doing with them is basically what I'm learning or dealing like problems. I'm dealing with my own performance. Listen, it's yeah. uh, I like to think of it as co-learning always when you're in, in the field of education, it's not a one way street. I think we're all on that journey and no one's figured it out. Like you were saying earlier, you're kind of figuring out who you are and where you're going. I think you're not alone there. Um yeah. <laughs> I would I, I would argue that's uh, these 175 interviews have been equally l- trying to l- learn from my peers and colleagues and people that I admire in the in this world of music um, because all of our paths are so kind of unique yet we have that similar that one thing in common right is that we all fell in love with music in our own way you know. Yeah, so that's nice to hear that you're 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 learning along the way with your students students, you know. Yeah. And like the hardest thing to I mean, there's many different ways you can be on stage, but particularly the kind right. of music that we're working. I'm working with yeah. there yeah. and the way I work is how do you. The audience needs to see yourself like they need to you have to. They got to know you're you're real, and that there also is a, a model where you can become a character, but okay. that's also a conscious decision too. But yeah. most of the people make a mistake of thinking they want to act like the cool, like uh, yeah. I really like 
Bob yeah. Dylan or yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know, like why would you try to imitate someone else? But it's really also very hard to be yourself. So how mm-hmm. do you get them there? Mm-hmm. How do I get myself there? And how do I pass on that to Great. other people so that maybe Great. they could benefit from my trying to figure it out? Yeah. Chasing a, being your true self or being as genuine on stage as possible which is super hard it is yeah it really is it really is i mean even in in these even in in conversation i've weirdly enough i find it kind of hard to be like like the me you know what i mean like just on, on a train or on a sofa is going to just be a little different than the me like r- right now here with you. I'm trying to be like, this is a, like a close yeah. version of who I think I am, Christine. I, I want to let you know that you, you haven't been, you haven't been like engaging with an AI version of me over the last uh, hour, but you know, but it's, it's interesting, right? Like our different forms of ourselves, you know, and right. that, that person that goes on stage can be, can look and sound really different than, you know, yeah and like i i know enough of your music i don't know you Mm -hmm. like i've met you one person once yeah but i know enough of of your about your music and i've also i've listened to some of your other interviews and we exist in a similar environment right Right. so the it's a little easier to be myself in this situation Right. But the, you say when you meet somebody on a train, I think I'm OK in those situations because that's kind of neutral. But if you're in a situation where you feel like you're going to be judged or or yeah. that you may be significantly different and you may be viewed as strained or whatever, there's there can be still an attendant. I think I'm kind of moved along where I'm kind of confident in that. But I do kind of. Yeah, there's something in the back of my head going, oh, yeah. I'm just talking a mile a minute. And like, or, I'm, or I'm at the same time. You yeah. Know? Or I or I'm I I. I I'm I, I mean, are we ever not performing? Is is probably yeah. the deeper question. But it's just like, yeah, who your truest self? And do you want to put that person on stage? Like, you maybe you want to keep that person far the hell away from the public eye, right? Like, it's I want no, I want it more. I want more of it on stage. Yeah. I know I need yeah. more of it on stage, and yeah. I I'm yeah. still nervous about parts of it, but know that that yeah. will be the best. Not like confessional or yeah. shocking or anything but like right 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 uh we're all gonna feel better if i do this is kind of the, the attitude it's, i have true to yourself yeah yeah, yeah i'm gonna yeah. feel very natural yeah, yeah. and also because a, a big part of it for me is like mostly my the, like the coaching and i think the songwriting without sounding too i don't want to sound preachy like it's really songs happen because I've got an idea that I really want to get out there. And coaching is like, I've got these things I've learned that I really want other people to know sure. about it. Yeah. And aren't I lucky that I have a couple of platforms to do it? There you go. Nice. So, Same vein too, right? Like th- those two concepts. Yeah. 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 That's great. That's great. That? I said, it's two- the same, it's the same vein, right? Those two concepts kind of draw from the same vein, I would say, you know? Yeah. And, and then like part of the coaching is like, trying to like if they're nervous but performing is like think about somebody that you really like your best friend when you have a conversation where you don't really censor yourself and you're yeah. allowed to say silly things or i mean so try to think of the audience like your friend being in the audience or 
or if you're a parent and have a child or if you're a pet, like somebody that you unconditionally will listen to you yeah. to try to think of the audience that way rather than a judge yeah. or, or as a yeah. monolith. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so yeah. that you yeah. can... Be, like, it, like I say, but lucky having a platform, it's like, you know, people are like, I don't know, companies that buy uh, airtime in the Super Bowl for billions of dollars is because that that's such a valuable slot. Well, it's like, I have a three-minute slot uh, in a song, and, uh, it count. If, and if it's live, th- these people have graciously given me their, their attention for 45 minutes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what... Yeah. Like use that real estate wisely. Amen. Uh, well, you have you have used this platform wisely. I thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and getting to know you a a, a little better than than I did. And and our listeners, where can where can our listeners learn more about your work or purchase your recordings? We're going to talk. We haven't even talked about Dear Me. Your your twenty two. <laughs> 2022 release but we're gonna we're gonna go out with a song from it um and i'm gonna let you choose that song um but where can people learn more about your work or purchase your music christine so my music's on Bandcamp under my name and and okay. uh so that's that's straight ahead uh i will be performing at the cameron house february 23rd with andrew penner who produced dear me go. There you go. And on it, uh, who's he's amazing, and yeah. I'm very excited about that. We're opening for Jesse Corrigan. Oh wow! Uh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I the I think that's oh the old school music camp. I, I, I really want new folks to come. We have okay. a, we, a great crowd of folks that go there. So uh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, so check 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 that out. And yeah, this will come out before then. So. Um, if you're listening to this in real time, happy, by the way, where are my manners? Happy 2024 to you all. And uh, February 22nd of 2024, you go to, did I get it right? Nope, February 23rd is the camera house. <laughs> well, you go to the, go there the 22nd too. I'm sure there's something uh, yeah. <laughs> spe- spectacular, not as spectacular as Christine Schmidt on the 23rd, um, joined by Andrew Penner. Uh, that's very exciting. Um, and and what tune? What a beautiful record, by the way. Like you totally change gears on uh, on Dear Me. You're you're not staying. And I'm and no offense to any artist who kind of makes makes the same record uh, a few times because whatever. Um, but but you did not do that here with Dear Me. Like you 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 shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I really needed to. It was a real move back to a lot of the stuff I'd been listening to when I was younger. There was a little, uh, oh. no, more playful, homemade d- d- dissonance. Yeah. And and uh, Andrew was the perfect person to work with. Jesse yeah. Corgan's on as well, playing a bunch of instruments. And the songs were written over a span of time, but they really represent, too, like a, a move away from just m- me being sad about a relationship or, mm-hmm. you know, basic country kind of subjects to try to deal with more complicated ideas that I've been thinking about in a way that isn't like preachy or, or talk too topical or like, so sliding in some ideas that, uh, that in a playful way that maybe somebody will be able to think about them without feeling like they're bombarded with opinions. 
There you go. Um, what do what do you want to go out with, Christine? What song should we play from that record? Um, I would love if you played Outskirts. Okay, uh, that, okay. Uh, basically, one that makes me super happy. Uh, sort of, kind of relates to your one of your themes with industry tactics and being dealing with sort of the idea of outsider musicians and uh, and what that actually means about and uh, uh yeah it's just the, the the feeling of uh maybe not fitting into a category yeah and, and yeah. The, just the idea of like categorization in general and like what's why how that exists and why might why how it exists in the regular world that's pretty big for the idea of the song, but anyway. And, and featuring uh, Kelly Sloan as well. I see her name yeah, pop up there. Kelly, Kelly sang uh, uh, on okay. on that song as well, so I'm very happy to have her on there. Shout well. out to Kelly Sloan, episode number 112 of the of the podcast. Um, well, it has been a delight. Here it comes now. Outskirts and go February 23rd to the Cameron House to see it live. Thank you, Christine Schmidt. Thank you. Be
Yes, that was Outskirts from the great Christine Schmidt. Go to christineschmidt.bandcamp.com to pick up that record, Dear Me, that came out in 2022. That song, Outskirts, featured Christine on voice and guitar, backed up by one of our industry tacticians herself, Kelly Sloan. And a shout-out to Kelly. We had Neela Evans on bass and Jesse Corrigan uh, on looks like piano and accordion and other fun things produced by Andrew Penner. So amazing release. Go out there and support your, uh, your your friends in the community. And Christine, thank you for making time for us. We have um, other amazing artists coming up. Of note, Yap Blanc is gonna is gonna be on the uh, the podcast. Uh, in the coming weeks so look out for that go to friendlyrich.com for more info on what I'm up to let me know uh, send me an email you can get my email from from my website and send me an email let me know how you're enjoying the podcast uh, what you want to hear more or less of if you have any suggested guests I've got a long list that I'm tearing through but I'm always open to your suggestions so keep in touch be safe and we'll see you again soon on industry Tactics.